0: Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together, to look into your word, and we pray that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures, that you would give us insight and wisdom, that you would work in our hearts that which is pleasing today, that you'd break down the hearts of stone, that you would expose sin, that you would reprove us, and Lord, that you would correct us and make us straight again, that we would be ready and adequate for every good work that you have prepared for us before the foundation of the world. We thank you so much for this time. We pray that you would be glorified in this through your son and it is in his name we pray. Well, if you're a true believer, you've probably realized that in the short time in this life, uh, sometimes it seemed easier maybe to not be following Christ. You know, uh, before I got saved, life seemed easier, although there were troubles And when I trusted in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, things became what was seemingly difficult. But there was a big difference. There was a big difference. You see, when we are true believers desiring to obey the Lord and we suffer, then the Lord is with us. When we weren't saved, the Lord was not with us. And we were building up wrath uh, uh, before him. But God was gracious to save us. Now, this life is full of difficulty. It's full of trouble. Uh, Some of you might be going through trials, whether they're from your own sin. God may be disciplining, but he wants to come alongside and help you to do the right thing. Maybe it's a physical trial, maybe it's a relational trial, whatever it might be. You can be tempted to fear or worry about what's happening in your life. And there are trials that come for following Jesus Christ, where you obey his word and we suffer for that. You know, the Apostle Paul characterized the Christian faith as... Uh, the, or the christian life as a fight the good fight of faith it's a battle every day to trust jesus christ over our own wisdom understanding over the world's ways but it's the good fight of faith it's good it's good and it's not very long now on the night that jesus was betrayed he would tell his disciples a slave is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will also persecute you Paul would tell Timothy, indeed those who desire to live godly would be persecuted, would be persecuted. Second Timothy three twelve. And as we've seen in First Peter, we're not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon us for our testing as though some strange thing were happening to us. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be in difficulties. If you've failed and you're sinning and God is disciplining you, you've got difficulty, and God's gracious. He wants you to share in his holiness. He wants you to grow. He wants you to understand. He wants you to, to make you more like his son. Maybe you have a trial, regular trial, we encounter these various trials that come upon us. Um, and maybe you are suffering because you're following Jesus Christ. So how can we endure the difficulties that come upon us for obeying Jesus Christ? We finished our study in First Peter. We're praying about what book to go to next. We'll be praying about that. And in the meantime, I felt uh, prompted to share this passage in Matthew chapter 14. Would you turn with me? Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. And you might remember the context of the book of Matthew if you were with us. But Matthew is about Messiah King, Jesus Christ. Matthew is about God the Son who took on human flesh to save His people from their sins. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came to His own, the Jewish people, those who would name the Lord's name. Yet these same Jews were in sin. They were in darkness. And God, having graciously prepared the way through John the Baptist, uh, then brought His Son upon the scenes. God took on human flesh. And we see that Jesus full of grace and truth and that he taught and preached the kingdom of god matthew 5 through 7 he affirmed that per his own person and his work with the miraculous chapters 8 through 9 jesus proclaimed repentance for the forgiveness of sins and after instructing and sending his disciples into the midst of a multitude of lost souls, chapter 10. Then in chapters 11 and 12, we see the opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ becoming clearly manifest. And then in chapter 13, we see the beginning of the withdrawal of the king. The Lord began to veil his word in parables to, the, to those who were condemned, the condemned and condemned the multitudes. And yet he explained those parables to his believing disciples. And we are privy to those tremendous kingdom truths. And then in chapter 13, the living God came to his own town where he grew up. And we gain a picture of what religious unbelief looks like. And then in early chapter 14, we have a wicked birthday party for Herod in which it brought about the killing of John the Baptist. And then we came to another feast after that. One initiated by the living God where Jesus Christ miraculously fed the 5,000. And there we saw he was teaching the disciples to trust in his total sufficiency. And yet they did not gain full insight yet. And it is on the heels of this situation that we come to our passage today. Again, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And we're going to be looking up to verse 33. And we're going to see how we can endure the difficulties we encounter for following Jesus Christ. Verse 22. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter had answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took him, hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. This is a tremendous true story. And folks, God yet God does not give us his word to be wowed by it, but that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of his son, that we would grow in respect to our relationship with God and relationship to our salvation. And I pray that today that we will grow in our understanding that we would trust him even more in the midst of the difficulties that come upon us. You see, if you're a true believer, those difficulties are coming. And we all go through trials. And we are tempted to fear. We are tempted to worry. We are tempted to have these concerns that overwhelm us. Today we're going to see that the Lord Jesus is not a distant observer, but one who is right with us. So with that in mind, how can we, how can we endure the difficulties for following Christ? First of all, I think we need to recognize when we obey Jesus sometimes torturous trials may come we don't want to hear that i don't want to hear that but the reality is sometimes that is true look at uh, verse 23 we see jesus sends his disciples into a great storm and then goes away to pray verse 22 and immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away Now, this true story is also in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 and in John chapter 6, and we're going to go back and forth there, so you might want to put your fingers there too. But here we see and remember, we need to remember the context. Jesus Christ has miraculously finished feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He has done the miraculous, and yet his disciples have not gained insight yet. And notice what he does. Our text says, and immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Notice this term he made. It's an interesting term. It means to force or compel. He compelled them to get into the boat. He forced them to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Jesus forced them to do that. And we see it more specifically in, in Mark chapter 6 that they were going in the Sea of Galilee to the other side, Beth Bethsaida, Mark chapter 6. Now we have, uh, now some have speculated that uh, he had to force them to go ahead because he wanted to stay, and, though they wanted to stay with him and, and, they, and he wanted to force them to get away from him. That, that's possible but I don't think that's really what's going on here. The scripture says he compelled them or forced them. He commanded them to go ahead to the other side. And the implication, the direct implication is he is going to meet them there on the other side. So then Jesus sends out his disciples in the boat ahead of him across the, to cross the Sea of Galilee. And what do they do? They obey him. They obey him. Verse 23. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone so the disciples have gone in the boat and jesus sends the multitudes away those who were looking most likely to to make him king or to get another meal he sends them away and the scripture says he went up to the mountain by himself to pray and it was evening and he was there alone if you'll remember the multitudes were still seeking signs they were seeking to have their physical needs net, met They were seeking a Messiah who would deliver them from their current situation to give them a meal, whatever it might be, but they were not looking for a Messiah that would bring them forgiveness of sins. And this group that got fed, they were trying to force him, as we see in John 6, to be their king. They wanted him to be king. And Jesus sent the multitudes away instead. And then notice what he did he went up to the mountain, middle of 23. And when it was evening, he was there alone. He by himself to pray, to pray. He went to pray. And folks, we can learn from this. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, although 100% divine and 100% human, like you and I, his divine nature, human nature, working in complete harmony, we see that God in human flesh went up to the mountain to pray by himself. This is an amazing thought if you think about it. Prayer exhibits a dependence It exhibits a reliance. And God, while in human flesh, was completely depending upon the Father. He went to the mountain to pray by himself. We know in chapter 2 of 1 Peter that he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Although God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is our perfect example. He is the author and perfecter of faith. We see in Christ that perfect faith. And so he kept entrusting himself, and then he went to the mountain to pray, and he was by himself. Well, what do we know about the Lord's prayer life? I can't share all of it, but I'll share a few things. We know he gave thanks uh, for the food uh, with the 5,000 that just were fed in the mount of transfiguration in luke's account he took peter and john along and went up to the mountain to to pray to pray and it was while he was praying that he was transfigured before them we see the lord interceding for his disciples and for those he loves we see in matthew or luke chapter 6 he spent the whole night in prayer before choosing the disciples We see he prayed for Peter's faith not to fail in Luke chapter 22. Let's take a look at that, Luke 22. And the Lord's prayers give us insight in how God intercedes for us, by the way, God's will for us. Luke chapter 22, verse 21, excuse me, verse 31. Jesus says to to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like weak. By the way, Satan needs permission to mess with us. He has demanded permission to sift you like weak, to shake you up, Peter. He wants to shake you up. But notice what Jesus says. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What a tremendous thing. The Lord Jesus prayed for Peter, for what? That your faith would not fail when Satan shakes you up. We see his prayer. In John 17, we have the the real Lord's prayer. In John 17, we have his intercession on behalf of his disciples, but not only for them, but all who would believe. We see his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified as he interceded for himself. Deeply grieved, yet desiring to do the Father's will. Matthew 26, 39. My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. We see in Hebrews chapter 5 how he offered up his prayers and supplications. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh... He offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. He was heard because of his piety. So from these small examples, we see our Lord was thankful. He interceded for others. He prayed for their faith. And he prayed for, as we see, unity and that they would behold his glory. John 17. And he interceded for himself, not my will, but thy will be done. So the Lord goes to the mountain to pray after deliberately descending the disciples away and dismissing the crowds that wanted to make him king. Let me ask you this. What is your prayer life like? What's it like? If you have a relationship with the living God, we have the privilege to come boldly before him to pray. What's your prayer life like? Do you, do you pray for others? Are you thankful for what God has done? Do you pray for their faith? Someone going through a trial, I pray in the midst of this trial, God, their faith would not fail. That they would be strengthened. They would trust your son, Jesus. Do you pray for that? Do you pray for his will, not your will? This is my will, Lord God. This is what I want. But yet not my will, but thy will be done, Lord God. Jesus is concerned for us, and we see that God intercedes for us right now. We have in uh, Romans 8.33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Jesus intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. Hebrews chapter 7, 25, Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, speaking of Christ, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We have a God who cares about us. And we see the physical example when he was on this earth, and we're going to see that in our passage. Our trials do not go away from from God. He, He doesn't turn the other way and not know about what's going on in us. We have a God who cares for us. We have a God who cares for us, and we see him praying here. Now you say, why do you speak so much about prayer? Well, I think possibly as we're going to see that, and I can't say for sure, that he's praying for them because we'll see later on that he saw them struggling at the oars, that he is praying for his disciples. Uh, We know he did, and we know he did throughout Scripture. So with that in mind, let's look at our text again, back in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. And after he'd sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Verse 24, but the boat was already many stadia away from land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. In contrast to the Lord Jesus praying, we have this contrast, verse 24, but in contrast... The boat was already many stadia away. A stadia was about 600 feet. The Gospel of John makes it clear they were 25 to 30 stadia away, which would be about three to four miles out. Three to four miles out. And notice what it says. The text says they were battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. The sea was stirred up because of strong wind blowing. John chapter 6, verse 18, strong wind stirred up the sea. And in our passage, this term translated battered literally means tortured. They're being tortured by the waves. Tortured. Because of the strong wind, the waves were battering the boat. They were, it was torturing the boat. Now we know there were at least four hardened fishermen on there, right? We know that. But yet Jews were not seafaring people by nature. So at this point, the Lord has commanded them to go. He sent them out. He sent them out into a storm. They're being battered because they obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. They obeyed him, and what happened? He sent them into a storm. He sent them into a storm. But we're going to see it's for their good. You see, the Lord Jesus sends us into storms at times. He allows trials to come our way, to test us, to refine us, that ultimately we would trust him all the more, which is the best thing for us, that we would trust him. You know, the Apostle Paul understood this. He understood the difficulties, even to the point of death, that God was allowing was so that he would trust in Jesus Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. And we need to get this. When difficulties come, Lord, you are doing this to help me grow in my faith in you, that I would trust you, that I would trust you, because that's the problem we have, not trusting Christ. And it's a real relationship with him, not some phony baloney uh, words, but a true relationship with Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. That sounds pretty bad. You know, our trials are quite often not that bad, but emotionally they can be that bad. I'll tell you that right now. At times. And he says here, So that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Hey, we thought we were going to die. That's what we thought. We had the death sentence. You think of a death sentence? That's a pretty sure thing, right? Judge gives a death sentence. That's it. We had the sentence of death within ourselves. But notice what he says here. In order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead. God allows difficulties in the lives of those who are following him that we would grow in our faith, and it's for our good. And we need to recognize in those situations, God is not a distant observer. He is with us, ready to bring us through it for His glory and for our good. If you're going through a difficulty, maybe it's because of sin. You've got to be honest and humble. Some people's difficulties is because they've just sinned. It's just the reality of what's going on. Confess it. Be right with God. Yes, you are reaping from the flesh right now. Yes, it is difficult. There's no credit if you endure it but if you trust the lord he's gracious and he's going to teach you how to how to walk with him he's going to make you more like his son and now you'll be sowing to the spirit and you'll begin reaping eventually and yet there are trials that come upon us also trials that come upon us for for following christ for whatever it might be and god is working in those trials because he loves us so much as you will see and as we will see so then he uses trials to work on our faith We know that in 1 Peter 4.12, we saw this, that the fiery deal came upon them for their testing or their proving. The proving of their faith. God allows difficulties, but it is for our good so that we will trust Jesus. It's all about faith. He says, I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, what? Do something good, Peter, in me. Strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. You know, everything God does is good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. He works everything for good, for good. And yet we can be in situations where we are tortured by the situation. Physical illness, whatever it might be, the way people are treating you, whatever it is, you can be torturing. It can be battering your life. The Lord Jesus wants us to see the reality of where he is at and what he cares about because he cares about us. So then they're placed in this awful storm and they're being tortured. The boat's being tortured, and they are too, I believe. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a weather-related event? I mean, we've got the hurricane going on right now. That's a pretty serious thing. There are certain weather-related events where you realize you can die. You can die. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat where you realized, if this goes over, we're dead. I used to be a corporate pilot. The reality was, if we crashed, we died. When you're in bad, bad weather, it's very serious. It can torture your heart and your soul, torture you. The possibility of death is right there, is right there. And sometimes our trials are like that. We are being tortured internally, and we need to know what God is doing in those, and we need to see him rightly so that our faith would not fail, and that even we would be able to strengthen our brothers and sisters when we make it to the other side. So with that in mind, are you suffering for obeying Christ? Jesus has allowed it. He's strengthening your faith for our good and his glory. So then how can we endure the trials that come for following Jesus Christ? First of all, recognize when we follow him, difficult times may come. But they're temporal and they're for our good. Secondly, I believe we're going to see from this passage, he wants us to see and know that he is not missing anything. That he sees our struggle and is alongside us and deeply cares. Look at our passage again, back in first, uh, or back in Matthew chapter 14. And I'm going to read this, verse 22 again. And immediately he made the disciples go over the boat, go into the boat, and go ahead of him to the other side. When he sent, while he sent the multitudes away, and after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up by himself to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone but the boat was already many stadia away from the land battered by the waves for the wind was contrary and then look at verse uh, 25 and in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were frightened saying it's a ghost and they cried out in fear but jesus or but immediately jesus spoke to them saying take courage it is i do not Be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, before we look at our portion in Matthew, I want to turn to the book, look more. Let's turn to the book of Mark, chapter 6. And I want us to see something that Mark shares here that's very important. Mark, chapter 6, verse uh, 47. It's after he bids them farewell, he departs the mountain to pray. And look at verse 47 of of Mark, chapter 6. And when it was evening the boat was in the midst of the sea he was al- alone on the land and look at this this is very interesting verse 48 and seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them about the fourth watch at about the fourth watch night he came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass by them Seeing them straining at the oars. Straining. They were rowing for their lives. They were rowing for their lives. You know, it's an interesting word. Again, this word straining here is that same word we saw earlier being tortured. They're tortured. It is is quite a trial for them. The sails obviously have been pulled down. They are rowing for their lives. They're being tortured by the storm. Now, it's interesting, you might remember the disciples encountered a similar situation back earlier in the book of Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. Yet in this situation, the Lord was on the boat with them. This time he's not, but he's nearby, see? The Lord is working on their faith, by the way, as he does with us. And he's gracious, and he's kind, and he's merciful. M- Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 And when he got into the boat, this time he's in the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there a great storm arose in the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he himself was, what, asleep. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. They've been through this before. But Jesus isn't with them this time, at least so they think. But he's looking at them. He saw them straining at the oars. He saw them straining. See, brother and sister, the Lord is working on their faith. And he's working on our faith for our good because he cares for us. He cares for us. Our suffering does not go unseen by the God who is allowing it to happen for our good, whatever it is whatever it is he is not a distant observer in our difficulties and seeing them straining at the oars he came to them mark chapter 6 now back in our passage in matthew 14 and in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea this is amazing the Jews had broken up the watches in the night into, or broken evening into watches and the fourth watch was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So they've been out there probably for a little while. Probably a little while. Jesus is praying. He sees them straining. He comes out to them. It says he came to them. Important. He said he didn't come to the boat. He came to them. That's who he's coming for. He came to them walking on the sea. I mean, it just thrills my heart to think about this. Jesus is coming to them. He is walking on the water. This is an absolute miracle, something only God can do, and only something, as we'll see, that God can enable someone to do in a moment. And notice something interesting in Mark chapter 6. It says, he came to them walking on the sea. He intended to pass by them. It's very interesting. He's coming to them, but he intends to pass by them. Here we see his intention is to pass by them. What's going on here? I believe he's coming to them so that they're going to see him. He's going to walk right by him as they're struggling. You think about that. We're in our trials. It all, all, everything is breaking loose. It's horrible. And we forget God is right there. He's going to walk right by. You know, <laughs> right? Our text says he was coming to them. In Matthew, So I believe he was coming to them, but how he's coming to them, that they would see him, that they would see him. Tremendous. Mark implies that he came specifically because they were struggling at the oars. He saw them struggling and he got up and he went to them. You see, in our difficulties, don't forget that Jesus sees them. Don't forget he is not out somewhere else, you know, does not know what's going on, is disconnected from it. Our God is a very present help in time of trouble. Let's turn to Psalm 46. And we need to remember this by faith because we don't see him. We don't see him. But well, we're getting a lesson here in Scripture, aren't we? Psalm 46, you're going through trouble, whatever it is. Now, if it's for sin, he's a present help because he's going to spank you and help you to walk rightly. But sometimes it's not for sin. If you're following Jesus, if you're a true believer, Psalm 46, For the choir director for the psalm of the sons of Korah said to Alamoth, a song, a song, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains should slip into the sea, Though its waters should roar with foe and foam. Though the mountains should quake at its swelling pride. Selah. We can draw near to the throne of grace or with confidence to find grace in time of need, Hebrews chapter 4. If you are a true believer, he is with us even to the end of the age, Matthew 28. Hebrews 13, let your character be free of the love of money, being content with what you have. Well, what do you have? You may not have money, but you've got him. He says here, for he himself has said, I will never desert you or even forsake you. Never. No matter how bad it is, he's not going to forsake you or desert you. Jesus is teaching them a lesson and he's teaching us a lesson. You see, the Lord knows our difficulties He is our great high priest and he intercedes for us. He was praying for them, I believe, and he saw them and he came to them and he intercedes for us also. Psalm 23, let's turn there, Psalm 23. He wants us to learn who he is and how much he cares for us so that we will lie down in green pastures and not struggle in our difficulties. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Soul issue, right? He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou art with me. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David didn't have goodness and mercy following him on a human level all his life. He had a lot of hatred following him. But he understood that God was with him. Goodness and mercy would follow him all the days of his life. We need to believe the truth when we're going through difficulties the truth concerning our god so back to our passage in matthew back to matthew chapter 14 so now the disciples are screaming with fear it's a ghost that's what they say verse 20 26 and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were frightened it's a ghost and they cried out for fear have you ever cried out in absolute fear well they did the picture they're on the boat obeying the Lord, rowing for their lives. Uh, and at this point, Jesus comes walking on the water. It's nighttime, by the way. It's nighttime, probably can't see very well. I don't think they had streetlights out there or lights on their boat, right? It's nighttime, and it says they were crying out for fear. It's terrified, they're terrified. They said it's a ghost. The term comes from the Hebrew word, it's Greek word, speaking of a phantasm, speaking of an apparition. And the Jews were in their culture and other cultures around had many myths of apparitions and ghosts out in the waters. And they're thinking it's a ghost and they're scared to death. Now we know there's no such thing as ghosts. We know that. There are demons. But there's no such thing as ghosts. We know that. But here this is no demon. This is the living God. It's the living God. And they are tortured and screaming. Screaming in fear. This is a trial. And why is this happening? Because they obeyed the Lord. When you obey the Lord, you do the right thing, trials may come upon you. Don't forget the Lord Jesus sees it. He prays for you. He intercedes for us. And he is alongside us. Don't forget that. You may think you're alone in this situation. It's not true. It's not true. So notice what happens. Verse 27. But immediately, I love that word, immediately, he's not going to let them try to figure it out in fear immediately because he's good. Immediately, Jesus, notice the term Jesus, that speaks of his humanity. You shall name him Jesus, Matthew one twenty one. for he shall save his people from their sins. The term Jesus is Yahshua. Yahweh, that's the I am, saves, Yahshua. The term Jesus means the Lord whose God saves. That's his human name. It's his human name. Jesus spoke to them immediately. And what does he say? Take courage. Actually he commands them. It is I. Do not be afraid. The term courage here means to be courageous. It is the ability to confront fear, pain, danger, uncertainty, intimidation. Take courage. Take courage. And he shares why. It is I. He says, ego a me, I am ego me now the term ego me can certainly speak of the i am that he and he is the i am but it is also a term that's used very basically in in greek you could say it is i ego me it's me it's me take courage why be courageous why i'm here it's me it's me take courage it is me and then he says don't be afraid two commands Why? It's me. It's me. Why should we take courage in our trials? Because Christ is with us. Why should we not be afraid in our trials? Because he's with us. And he says the same thing to us. Take courage. Be courageous. Be courageous. Courageous. It is me. Bob read this earlier uh, in uh isaiah 41:10. do not fear why for i am with you very important do not anxiously look about for i am your god i will strengthen you i will surely help you surely i will uphold you with my righteous right hand and i pray that you get to the point of your faith where you hold on to the truth like that above all else you hold on to the truth of god we we'll see throughout, scriptures, throughout the scriptures, God encourages his servants to be courageous and not fear based on the fact he is with them. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31, verse uh, 6. These guys are shaking in their boots, and then they see this what they think is an apparition, and they're, they're terrified, terrified. And Jesus says, take courage. It's me. Do not be afraid. We need to hear the same thing in our situations. Take courage. It's him. He's with us. It's with us. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. The Lord is not going to fail you nor forsake you. Look at verse 7. Uh, then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of Aldjil, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with the people into the land which the Lord has sworn to the fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. He's encouraged by the Lord to be strong and courageous, and what does he do? He shares with the Israelites, Be strong and courageous. We're probably familiar with this passage, Joshua 1 7. Turn to Joshua just up. By the way, the Canaanites were big guys, and, and by sight say, no way we can take them. But God had promised that they would, and they needed to do it by faith. Joshua 1.7, only be what? Strong and courageous. God calls us to have courage because he's there. To have courage. Has you, have you lost your courage? Are you afraid? Take courage. Do not fear. He is with us, and he loves us. Be strong, courageous, and be careful to do all according to the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the left, right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according according to all that is written in it. For for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, he is with you wherever you go. Don't fear. Don't fear. Yes, it may be terrifying. It may be rough. But don't fear. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. If you recognize that truth, you don't need to fear, and you're commanded not to. We know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. This is what God says to you. This is what Jesus says. Take courage. Do not be afraid. Your affliction has not gone unnoticed. Your difficulties have not been unseen. He intercedes for you. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You're trusting the Lord in your marriage and you're suffering for it. Take courage. You're trusting in the Lord and how you raise your kid, You're doing the right thing and you're suffering for it. Trust the Lord. He's with you. You're trusting the Lord in your job. You're doing the right thing and you're suffering. Trust the Lord. You're trusting the Lord and obeying the Lord in the church and you're suffering. Trust him. Trust him. Take courage. Not be afraid. Well, notice next how we can endure the difficulties. Notice we can learn from Peter's great faith and little faith. Look at our passage again. Verse 26 in Matthew 14. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately, Joseph, Jesus, immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And notice Peter, the leader among equals, says, And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. This is an amazing statement. It's really, truly amazing. The winds are howling, the waves are crashing, it's still that happening, by the way. Jesus has walked up close enough so that they can converse in this, but yet it's hard to see, obviously. And Jesus tells them to take courage, not be afraid. And what does Peter say? Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water. This is amazing. This is amazing that Peter would ask this. I think it's amazing. You know, some have impugned Peter for testing the Lord here. I don't believe that's the case. Jesus doesn't say, why would you ask that, Peter? He says, well, we'll see in a minute. Peter desires to validate something that he's not sure of. And that's the right thing to do. Lord, if this is you, use your word to help me understand. Lord, if this is you, there's nothing wrong with that. Validating the truth in light of what God has said. And here he's got God in front of him to validate the truth. You see? Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And this is amazing. Verse 29. And he said, come. It really is amazing. And even more amazing, look at verse 29. And Peter got out of the boat, out of the boat, and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. This is great faith. Now, we're going to see he has little faith in a minute at a certain point. But he is exhibiting great faith at this point he is actually walking on the water towards jesus we can learn from this even in the midst of something completely apparently impossible peter obeys him and steps out in faith brothers and sisters no matter how impossible it seems obey god's word step out in faith obey what he says trust him peter did and in the end of 29, it says he walked it walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But notice, as he is exhibiting great faith, something happens. And this happens to us, by the way. We trust the Lord totally. We're walking with him. He is getting us through the situation. All of a sudden, something happens. End of 29. And Peter got out of the boat, walked in the water, and came towards Jesus. Verse 30. But seeing the wind, he became afraid And began to sink. Tremendous lesson here, and it's pretty obvious. When we take our eyes off of Christ, our faith is useless. Our obedience is useless. You can he's obeying the Lord, but he's sinking. Took his eyes off Christ. Why? And seeing the wind, he got distracted by the storm. He got distracted by the storm. He looked away and began to sink. Isn't that what happens to us? We're trusting the Lord. Difficulties come. We're doing the right thing. All of a sudden, we start to sink in our faith. We start to sink. And what do we see here? This is wonderful. It's the shortest uh, prayer in Scripture here we see. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Isn't it a great prayer? Lord, save me. Amazing. And immediately... Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. Immediately. Isn't that great? Immediately. Immediately. Peter had obviously gotten pretty close to Jesus. And he started to look at everything. And he sunk. And immediately the Lord answers his prayer. And what does he do? He saves him. He saves him. He saves him, physically speaking, from sinking in the water. When our boat is falling apart, we need to boldly come before his throne and believe what he said, and we will receive grace and mercy in time of need. And notice how Jesus responds. He he responds graciously, but he lovingly reproves Peter here, and he does that to us too. Middle verse 31, and he said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, why why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why have I doubted? Why? Why did we doubt? Peter, why did you doubt? Well, why? But seeing the wind, he became afraid. Why do we doubt? We take our eyes off of Christ and we start to look at our circumstances. And guess what? Our faith goes out. What things cause you in life not to look upon Jesus with undivided attention? To fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. You see, if you focus on your trial, you're going to sink. If it's a relational trial, marital, kids, work, if you focus on that and pull away from trusting in Christ, you're going to sink. You're going to sink. Cry out, Lord, save me. Cry out, Lord, save me. He immediately will come and uphold those who call to him. Immediately with Peter. Remember, the issue is faith. Why did you doubt? why did you doubt? And that's the issue in our trials, brothers and sisters. It's faith. That's the issue. We need to go to the Word of God and understand who the God of the Word is and believe what He has said. Apply the Scriptures to our lives rightly. Apply them rightly and believe what God has said. He is our refuge and strength. Help in time of trouble. Believe the truth. Don't doubt. But when we pull our eyes off of Jesus, we will start to sink. And there are real things going on around us. This is a real storm around Peter here, but it is for our Benefit, He says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And then notice verse 32. And when they got into the boat, what happened? The wind stopped. It stopped. Isn't that great? Now you say, okay, I've got it down. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. Trust him and obey him. Be courageous and not fear. And yes, that is correct. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But notice there's something else we need to learn from our passage. Look at verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Verse 33. And those who were in the boat did what? Worshipped him. Saying, you are certainly God's son. You know, Christ is worthy of our worship. I find when you're praising and worshiping him and declaring his excellencies, the truth concerning who he is, it's hard to be distracted. They worshiped him. They worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. The reality is worship is not a worship band from a worship leader, whatever it is. Worship is declaration of truth concerning the living God. You are certainly God's son. That's worship. That's worship. They worshiped him. They worshiped him. Spirit-led declaration of truth concerning the living God. You're God. You're God. We believe it. They believe it. And Jesus Christ, being worthy of worship, did not deny it. He accepted it because he's God. And he tells you and I, take courage. Do not fear. And what our response should be is worship. Let's turn to Psalm 18 as we finish up here. kind of hard to worship the lord when we're complaining about our circumstances isn't it it's kind of hard to worship him if we're trembling in fear we need to trust him and focus on him and give him the glory he's deserving psalm 18 verse 1 for the choir director a psalm of david the servant of the lord who spoke to the lord notice he spoke to the lord this is not just speaking to us This is to the lord the words of this song in the day that the lord what Delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and the hand of Saul. This is what he did. I love thee, O Lord, my strength. Is that your heart like that for the Lord? The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Do you believe that? If you do, he will be that for you. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't fear. Be strong and courageous. Because He's near, and He cares for you. He's a good God, and He is working good in our lives. So how can we endure terrible trials for following Christ? We need to recognize that when we obey Christ, we might enter into difficulty. And we need to recognize that God uses these things for our good, that we would trust him, and that he does, not, he does see our situation. He is right there. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And he calls upon us to be courageous and not fear, because he is. He is. Whatever you're going through, focus on Christ. Trust him. Trust him. Now, there's some of you here that are in great peril today. You're in great peril because you're about to go into eternity in your sins. And if you face the living God in your sins, you're going to experience eternal death forever. The lake of fire, because God is a righteous God, and you are in peril. You need to be saved. You are in peril. And if you're willing to humble yourself before God, Lord God, I am a sinner. I am in need of salvation and you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, you cry out to him, Lord, save me. And you've got to know what you're being saved from. It's his wrath for sin, by the way. Save me. Save me. He'll save you. If you truly mean it from the heart. Brother and sister, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, like those in the boat, Jesus is going to send us into situations that are difficult but it's for our good and he is, we know he intercedes for us and we know he is with us and he wants to build our faith that our faith would not fail. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and I just pray that anyone here going through difficulties for following you would be greatly encouraged that our eyes would be uh, focused on your son Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, and I pray for those who are not going through difficulties but following you, they'd be prepared, that they'd be ready, that they would understand how you allow things to happen and trust you when they come. Not be surprised at these ordeals when they come. Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, who is on the precipice of an eternity without you, that you would convict their hearts of their sin and that they would turn in their hearts to the person of Christ, believing in him for salvation. Lord, save me. We know you will immediately. We pray for that. And lastly, Lord, we pray that we would remember what we've learned when these storms come upon us, that we would not forget you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Whatever it might be, large or small, may we not forget. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.